Check, check, check. Hey, how's that? Is that better? I guess the O-N means it comes on. Yeah, that one. Uh, how many, let me ask that question again. How many men had fun with Chainsaw this week? Yeah, all right, one. Yeah, okay, good. So my family, we were sitting on Wednesday night. Apparently there was an ice storm. And um, we were sitting in our living room, and we started watching Jingle All the Way. You know, it's a good Christmas movie because Arnold, right? Billy, I'll get you Turbo Man. You know, and so we were, that was good. That was good. And uh, I've been working on it a little bit. Just, and uh, all of a sudden, boom, and, uh, and our house, whole house shakes. And, you know, I thought, you know, what did you do, Evie? But no, I <laughs> knew, uh, knew it was a tree. So we immediately are, you know, my wife is great in crisis. She's like, okay, that's what we need to do. I'm like, ah! I think I screamed like a girl and spun in circles. Um, that's what you do in crisis, is spin around in circles, right? And, uh, and so we got our kids, and we're huddling up, and then I'm like, I think a tree fell in our house, let's go. So we go downstairs, and we go get in our car, we're like putting blankets and, and coats to try to survive, and open the garage, and there's a, a ton, a big giant pile of tree in front of our garage, and so we couldn't get out. So I called Mark Harpam and said, Mark, come get me, you know? And uh, he came and rescued us, woo! Yeah. So Mark, Mark, he always jokes, he says, well, if you need you know, me to come up and get you off the hill in my four-wheel drive, I'll come get you. And so I called him, and he's like, do you need me to come rescue you? Yeah. <laughs> so we had to stay at Hotel Harpam for two days. Thank you, Lori. Yeah. Woo. It was great. And uh, Lori was actually begging for us to let the kids spend the night one more night. But we said, no, we love you too much, and we'd like to be invited over again at some point. Uh, but uh, we're, we're doing good. But I know everybody's had a bit of a week. And how many of you have lost power this week or something? Yeah, so many. So thank you for coming out today. And let's pray for our city. Lord, I just pray for the power companies, the police officers, the uh, EMTs, firemen, Lord, all the emergency services. And, and Lord, that you would give them grace to help get everything cleaned up. Lord, uh, let it warm up a little bit. God, can we get the AC turned off, please? And uh, Lord, we just ask for your protection, and your safety. Thank you for bringing everyone through safely uh, through this time. And Lord, uh, we just pray for everyone that's going through hardship to just have your favor on them and keep a good attitude and get through it. Lord, let neighbors and friends band together and serve one another in a spirit of love and the spirit of Christmas. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So today's our last service of 2016. And, uh, well, I mean, we're going to have a Christmas service on the 23rd, so that'll technically be the last, but our last Sunday service. And God's been so faithful this year. We started March 13th in the house that now has a tree on it uh, in our living room, and there was about 29 people at that first service. So God's done a lot of amazing things, and thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for serving. And, and this is just the beginning, and it's so exciting to me to see as this year closes, just to dream and, and, and to, to listen to the Holy Spirit communicate to us what the next year is going to be like in the years to come, but I'm excited about that. But as we wrap up this, this uh, year, we're finishing a series as well called What Does God Want for Christmas? How many of you have enjoyed this series uh, here in the month of December? What does God want for Christmas? And you know, we spend so much time talking about what I want for Christmas, what I'm going to get my family for Christmas, and it, it kind of dawned on us, let's ask God what he wants for Christmas. And there's a perfect passage of scripture in the book of Micah. And the prophet Micah was, was basically setting up a courtroom drama between God and God's people. And we pick it up here in verse 6. 
where the, the people of Israel are saying, what can we bring to God? And they say, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? And the Italian part of me says, that's got to be what God wants, the olive oil, because that's what I want. Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And then the Lord responds and he says in verse 8, and it's a very famous passage of scripture. I'm sure you've heard it before. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires, what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Bethany did a fantastic job last week talking about what it means to love mercy. And yeah, if you haven't, thank you. If you haven't heard that message, go on to the website and listen to it. It's fantastic. But this morning, we're going to look at this number three thing that God says, I require this. I I want this. This is what you can give to me. And the great news is it's not just applicable to Christmas. It goes all the time, right? To walk humbly with your God. God wants us to walk humbly. Listen how, how it's said in the message translation or the message paraphrase. It says, do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. How many of you have been guilty, like me, of taking yourself far too seriously? Right? That's me right there. When I got married, uh, Bethany and I got married, she had to really help me not take myself too seriously. That's one of the great things about marriage, right? Is your wife will let you know your flaws. Uh, It's like having a a mirror that talks back to you. You know, dear, dear, fairest wife of them all, uh, tell me how bad I am and worse than them all. You know, I think that's how it goes. Uh, And vice versa, but we help each other. And I would take myself far too seriously, just my own business and what I needed to do. And I'm serious about, you know, even things I was doing for God and ministry and all these kind of things. And my wife helped me to loosen up a little bit. If you know somebody that needs to loosen up a little bit and they happen to be within elbows distance, give them one of those. Like, that's you. He's preaching to you right there. Don't take yourself too seriously. What we need in life is followers of Christ that learn to take themselves lightly, but regard God seriously. You see, what happens oftentimes is that people don't take God seriously, but they take themselves very seriously. And it should be the opposite of this, right? It should be the opposite of this. So how does it start? Well, I'll say this, that humility or not taking yourself too seriously, but taking God seriously, being a humble person. When it says that God wants us to walk humbly, that just means to live humbly, to to live this way. That's what that word walk means. I'm going to live my life this way with humility. Where does that start? It starts with seeing your rightful place. Not more than you are, not less than you are, your rightful place. Understanding the preeminence of God in all circumstances, in all situations. There was a, at one time there was a a naval captain and he was sailing along and it was a dark and foggy night. And uh, all of a sudden the light appears in the distance and it's an unidentified vessel and they radio and they say, unidentified vessel, this is the USS Intrepid change course. Radio comes back a few moments later. Uh, You change course. Captain kind of radios back. Tell them this. Unidentified vessel. This is the USS Intrepid. I'm a captain. What's your rank? Radio comes back. I'm an ensign. You change course. Finally, this captain is steaming. He says, radio them this. This is the USS Intrepid. I'm a battleship. You change course. A few moments later, the response comes. I'm a lighthouse. Your call. 
Do you know your rightful place? Because so many times we're steaming through life and I'm a battleship, right? I'm a captain. And all of a sudden the response comes back, I'm a lighthouse. You know, do we, can we change course? Do we see our rightful place? It doesn't matter your rank. When you're dealing with the earth, I don't care how big your ship is. You're going to lose, right? When we're talking about God, he is always greater. One of the, the, the fundamental aspects of the Christian faith is that there's always someone greater than you. And so pride is the inability to be second place. Pride says, I cannot be second. I can't be third. I can't be uh, less than, than anyone else. But, but humility says, no, I know there's always someone greater than me. No matter how great I am at what I do, no matter how great I am in my authority position, there's always somebody greater. If you can't stomach to be second place, at least second place, then you can't stomach to be a Christian. Humility is this ability to, to be second place. There was a guy... Not a guy, he was a, an angel, his name was Lucifer. Most of us know him now as Satan, the devil. And he was the covering cherub, he was the star of the morning, he was the greatest of the angels. And Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, gives us an insight into his pride and what led to his fall. It was his inability to be second. His inability to come in second to God. He said in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And Isaiah says, instead you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its Lowest steps. Lucifer fell because he wanted to climb. He fell because he wanted to go higher than God. He, he couldn't be second place. He wanted to either be on par or greater. He couldn't handle to be less. If you can't handle to be less than that, you can't handle humility. Humility, to walk humbly with God, says God is always greater. There's always someone more powerful, someone more uh, strong than I am. Someone who has the right to tell me what is right, what is wrong. There's a God who has the right to govern and guide the affairs of mankind. There's always someone greater, the preeminence of God. And humility begins with seeing this. There's another person in the scripture that exemplifies perfectly the spirit of humility in this sense. And it was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, for those of you that maybe don't know, is a, a guy that is kind of a cool character in the Bible. Uh, he wore camel skin coats, and it says he ate locusts and honey out in the wilderness. And he was this like prophet guy. And I always imagine him kind of looking like Kyle Dale with wild hair and a beard. And we should get Kyle to do a live lesson, John the Baptist, with the camel skin coat, right? How many of you like to see that? Hairy legs, you know, eat some real locusts to be committed to the role. We don't want to, you know, Anyways, uh, John the Baptist was this wild prophet guy, but he was also Jesus' cousin. And he had this incredible, powerful ministry. And people, thousands of people were coming to him out in the wilderness to hear him preach. And Jesus comes along. And John the Baptist has a choice to make. Because he has his own ministry, right? He has his own thing, his own platform, his own, his own power. And John's disciples in, in John chapter 3, verse 26 came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And listen to this line here. Everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. In other words, our church is shrinking. Our thing is diminishing. Your platform is being reduced. And John replied, and this is perfect humility, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. In other words, we're not owners. 
Let me just tell you right now, I'm not the owner of Joy Church. This church doesn't belong to me. Jesus is the pastor of this church. He just, he just asked me to, be, to serve, okay? Every leader, there's not, oh, we don't own this, this stuff. We don't even own our bodies, right? If you owned it, if it belonged to you completely, you could, you could keep it healthy, but you're all, we're all dying of death, right? I mean, even our own bodies, we feel like we own it, but we don't. We need to have some humility to see our rightful place. But John says, look, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. And listen to this. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. I'm filled with joy at his success. If we cannot be filled with joy at the success of another, we're not really walking in humility. Right? If you need someone else to be less so that you can be more, then you don't have the spirit of Jesus working for you. There's enough for everybody, right? There's enough for all of us. But John recognizes, look, I'm filled with joy at his success. And then he says this, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John's attitude was, as I diminish, if that gives glory to God, then everything is going in the direction it needs to go. That should be the attitude that we have. This is what it means to walk humbly. Not, I will ascend, I will become greater, I will grow my platform, my influence, and all of these things, and I, 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 I know it says, no, I must, uh, I must become less and less, that your name must become greater and greater. You know, I had to pray this prayer the other day. Uh, Bethany and I were talking to someone, and someone uh, shared something with us, and it was like this Christian leader, they, they knew my name. And I remember I went into the shower and I said, and it wasn't actually positive, but they knew my name, right? So I was like, oh, they know my name. And, uh, you know, and I go in the shower and I pray, Jesus, I pray that every single person would forget my name and more people would know your name. You know, that's the kind of attitude that, that, that I want to have. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm so humble, I'm proud of my humility. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying... I want, I want God to give me humility. God, help me to just be able to, to say, it doesn't matter that people know my name. They need to know your name. That's what we're here to do, is to make the name of Jesus great. And John said, I'm filled with joy at his success. Are we excited if we hear that a church across town, they blow up and explode and, not blow up and explode. I'm a millennial. Those are good things <laughs> to me. Those are good things to me. The numerically, they, they increase, right? That their finances are great, and all of a sudden, they're effective and successful. Am I going, well, I wish that would have happened to us. Or am I going, no, God, that's awesome, Jesus, because your kingdom is advancing. Come on. When we hear that, that a friend or a neighbor, they get a promotion, and are we excited for them? Do we, are we filled with joy at the success of others? Because that's where humility lives in that, that moment. And John said, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. When we grasp humility, the amazing thing is it makes a relationship with God possible. I love it when Jesus said that you have to be like a little child to enter into the kingdom. Jesus' disciples were around him and these kids came up and they wanted to jump on Jesus' lap. And I'm sure they had peanut butter and jelly on their hands or locust and honey or whatever they were eating at first century. And, but kids always have sticky things on their hands, right? And so I'm sure they're getting stuff on Jesus' robes, and he just got his freshly laundered white robe, you know, with his perfectly manicured hair, as we see in all the pictures. And these children are jumping in Jesus' lap, and the disciples are like, get him out of here. And Jesus says, no, 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 let the children stay. And actually, you have to be like a child to enter into God's kingdom. And you think about a child and how children are. They're, they're naturally humble. You know, I remember... As a kid, 
you know, when my dad would carry me in from the car, and I was kind of awake, but I didn't wake, you know, I didn't act like I was awake. I pretended to be asleep so that I could just experience his, his power and majesty of my father bringing me out of the car and, and tucking me in. And I accepted that there was someone that had higher authority, higher power, higher capacity than I did. And I trusted in that. And so humility is the child's delight to know that you're protected, that you're provided for, and that somebody else is in charge. But it means you have to let go of the right to be number one. So I also remember as a kid, I heard this story, you know, my dad told me later that I would say, well, I'm, I'm the boss. And he would say, no, Jacob, you're not the boss. Yes, I'm the boss, dad. No, Jacob, you're not the boss. You're the nothing boss. <laughs> okay, I'm the nothing boss, right? You're the nothing boss. And I was happy with my role as the nothing boss. And still to this day, what do I say to my father? Father, I'm the boss. And he says, no, Jacob, you're not the boss. <laughs> Jacob, you're the nothing boss, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I still get to be the nothing boss. How many of you want to join me as the nothing boss, right? Because when you're the nothing boss, it means God gets to carry you in from the car. And he takes care of your needs and provides for you and protects you. And, and you get to trust in his provision. But it takes humility. Why? Because you're not number one. You're number two or number three or number four. Greater and greater, but I must become less and less. And we see that it says in the book of James in chapter 4, verse 4, I'll read this in just a second, that God resists the proud. That there's actually a, a state of existence that when there's pride, God is actively resisting you. And I'll explain why. It's like a magnetic thing. It's like, uh, you ever had a magnet and you turn the, the, the polarity there so that it, it pushes and pulls? There's always an active state of resistance or it's an active state of attraction, Right? You know what I'm talking about? You can't, it's not either way. There's not a, a spot on the magnet where it's just neutral unless you turn it out of phase. But, but it's always either pushing or it's pulling. And that's how it is with our, our state of being and God. There's a magnetic uh, attraction or a magnetic resistance. When I'm in a state of pride, what I'm saying is I don't need God. I can't receive Jesus because that takes humility, right? And so there's an active state of resistance. But when I turn my heart to be humble in repentance, then all of a sudden it's like, boom, and it comes together. That you could say that, that pride is resistant to God, but humility is attractive to God. And James says it like this in James chapter 4, verse 4. And I'm going to read out of the message translation because I like how it sounds. He says, you're cheating on God if... If all you want is your own, your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and, and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He's a fiercely jealous lover. And what He gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. He goes against the willful proud, but He but he gives grace. He's attracted to, he responds to the willing humble. Verse seven, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. I love that. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's times in life, you know, when, when that tree fell on our house, I wish I could say I was super brave and resourceful and knew what I was doing, but I, I've never been through that. And it freaked me out. And here I am with my wife and my three kids and they're all, you know, my tiny kids. 
And I was scared because we thought this could be it. The roof could come down, it could collapse. And it's just a scary moment. And in those moments, guess what? I don't want to be number one. I want to be number, number 19. You know what I mean? God, please come and save us. God, please come respond in my moment of need on my knees so that God can pull me back up on my feet again. Right? It's an, pride is such an illusion, isn't it? Even the reality of safety, when something happens, you know, all that happened is it rained and it got cold. That's it. And life can change in an instant. Right? All of our, these beautiful houses that we all have, the power goes out and all of a sudden it's a big empty cold shell with a bunch of stuff that doesn't work anymore. Right? You know, our pride is such an illusion. Oh, we think we're safe. We think that we're secure. We think that we don't need anybody else. I needed the harp hams. I always need the harp hams because Lori's a great cook, you know. We need each other. We need God. Humility opens us up to this reality of the way the world really is, the preeminence of God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace. I want to set my heart to be magnetic to God, magnetic to his grace, keeping myself in a humble posture on my knees so that God can come in and, and, and move in my life. So as we end today and, and wrap it up here, I want to give you a couple of practical things, some thoughts on how to walk humbly, how to live humbly. Number one, we have to be real. How many of you know what the word poser means? Right? Well, he's a poser, right? That's me if I'm trying to go skiing or something. You know, I remember I went out uh, to go skiing and I had borrowed some old 1980s uh, Reebok ski boots or whatever from my aunt. And I had some like lightning pink and green skis. And I think I had a woman's snow coat on and jeans on or something. And not one ski person who's a skier, what do you call them? Skiers? Yeah, not one skier. That's how much of a poser I was looked at me and thought, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so there I am on the mountain, and I go down the first uh, hill, and it was the bunny hill. It was more of a mad hair hill, in my opinion. But anyways, <laughs> I go down the bunny hill, and I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs, ah! with my ski poles directly out. Uh, <laughs> and I think I clipped a girl in the ear. Uh, luckily, I didn't know how to stop, so I couldn't help her. I'm just, you know, tick, sorry. <laughs> I crashed into the line at the bottom and knocked a bunch of people over. So needless to say, I went and spent a lot of time in the lodge eating french fries, right? Which is the real joy of skiing, is leaving the mountain and going into the lodge and drinking hot cocoa and, hey, how you doing? Pretty crazy out there. How's that snow? It's real fluffy, isn't it? Oh yeah, I rode the Dragon Hill, definitely. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, a poser, right? Someone who's who's playing a part. We use a word called a hypocrite, right? What's a hypocrite? It means someone who wears a mask. They're, they're putting a mask on. And this is what we do so often in life is we give a face to the world and even a face to God, and it's not the real us. And humility starts with saying, this is who I really am. I'm not going to deceive, try to deceive God, even though that doesn't work. I'm not going to try to deceive others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real. David's amazing prayer of repentance in Psalms 51. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden place you will make me to know wisdom. You desire truth on the inside. God wants us to speak the truth on the inside, to be real, to fess up and say, this is who I am. This is how bad it is. God, I'm not hiding. I'm not protecting. I'm not masking. I'm not posing. I'm not, I'm not putting a mask on. I'm just saying this is who I am. That, that's, a, that's a great step to start humility, just to be real. All right, just to be real. Number two, 
you have to laugh at yourself. Somebody once told me, learn to laugh at yourself. Everyone, already, everyone else already is, right? <laughs> I love watching certain animals in nature like the ostrich, you know, and how proud they are. You know, and you see this arrogance, and they just look absolutely ridiculous. And how many of you have seen another person or yourself in the mirror, and they're preening, right? You know, preening. You can see, I love, I love all the high schoolers, so don't get mad at me here, but, you know, like high school prom. What is that? You go out and buy, like, clothes that you never wear at any other time in your life, or this one night, so you can preen around and, you know, act like princes and princesses? I don't understand this, you know? But we do this, right? We have these kind of magical moments, and we sort of put it on airs, and, and, it's, and it's hilarious because we totally can read through it in everybody else, but we don't necessarily read it in ourselves. But you got to be real, and, and you got to learn to laugh at yourself and just laugh at how ridiculous we are sometimes. I laugh at myself a lot, and that's good because I'm a ridiculous person. You know, I wish that I was as good as I might seem like I am when I preach sermons, I worked on this all week, really hard, so that I could come up here and and appear to know what I'm talking about. But honestly, you know, if you put me up here and I didn't have time to prepare, I'm just going to stutter and whiz my pants because it's freaky. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, it's just hilarious, right? We all put, we put the best foot forward and that's okay, but, but learn to laugh at yourself, right? Because it helps you have a good sense of what's actually going on. And I'll talk about that more a little bit later. Number three, you have to lose sight of yourself. You know, as we we're being real and we learn to laugh at ourselves, part of humility is to lose sight of yourself. To lose sight of yourself. Here comes your C.S. Lewis quote of the day. You knew it was coming. He said, "Do not imagine that if you really meet a humble, really meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays." He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed like a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Real humility is not this, oh, I'm worthless, I'm the worst. Oh, you know, you sang so well today. No, 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 it was just Jesus. I'm nothing. I'm just a worm. What a worm I am. That, that's not humility. That's, that's just called, that's false humility, right? Which is just pride. Because you know, I, I find it hilarious. There's actually a verse in the Bible where it says, Moses was the meekest man on the earth. And it's in a book that Moses wrote. <laughs> You're like, wow, some real honesty here, Moses, you know? <laughs> And Moses was the meekest man of all. I think Joshua might have wrote that part. We're going to believe that. But anyways, the person who's always really inclined to tell you how bad they are, that's just pride in disguise. Did you know that insecurity is pride in disguise? I could never do that. Oh, I could just never. I could just never. You can never do what God would help you and assist you to do. Real humility is just saying, like, I am what I am. God, if you can use me, I'll be willing to be used. Humility is losing sight of you. It's focusing on other people. It's focusing on God. It's not taking yourself too seriously. And it's not taking yourself too seriously, either good or bad. So if you're one of those people that's like always, oh, I'm just nothing. I'm a worm. I'm the worst. I'm nothing. What are you trying to convince us all of? What do you want us to do? Agree with you? You're right. You suck. (laughs) You're terrible. 
I know, I'm just so terrible. You know what you're looking for? You're looking for attention. What you really need is affection, God's affection. A heart that is healthy and whole, knowing that your Father loves you, that He approves of you even in your weaknesses, and that He can use you to do great things, not in your greatness, but because He is going to move and use His power through you. Come on, somebody. So lose sight of yourself, right? Get, get rid of the self-focus, the self-attention. Number four, we need to know that Humility opens the doors that pride slams shut. I remember when my, my, brothers, my uh, brothers and my sister and I, we were getting music lessons, and my dad and my mom, I appreciate them so much, they said, listen, here's what you do. My parents were coaches, right? They coached us in moments. Let me just, I'm going to talk about parenting for a second. Is that okay? Because we've got a little bit of time here. Parents, if you don't coach your children, what are you there for? I'm just letting little Jimmy get find his own way. He's not going to find his own way. Right? God gave you, he put you in the role of a parent so that you can parent your children. We live in this culture of people not parenting their children. That's ridiculous. Right? Children are not little adults trapped in, in, you know, in ch- child's bodies. That's not, that's not true. I have kids. Right? I know this. You know, my kids melt down. At a certain time, they freak out, and all they want to do is eat candy and ice cream and scream and go crazy and destroy things. That's not normal behavior. We need to, we need to arrest that behavior and say, I'm going to coach you. Stop it, or you're going to not you know, get a treat, right? Or you're going to get a spanking. Sorry, I know it's not politically correct, but hello. All right. Come on. you got to parent your children. So my parents would coach us. They would parent us. And I remember when we would be going in from the car into music lessons, my dad or my mom would say, listen, you be respectful to your teacher. You listen to them. When they speak, you listen. You don't talk. When they ask you a question, you answer it. When they tell you that you need to practice, you practice. You honor them. You be humble. Don't, don't tell them everything you know, right? Little Jake, get in there and learn. And I remember that because we had a humble attitude, my siblings and I, we could get the best from the teachers that we had. Humility opens doors that pride slams shut. I, I later on taught music lessons. And I remember that the kids that I liked to teach were the kids that were humble enough to understand that I had something to offer to them, right? But there was always kids that would come in and they'd want to tell me how much they know and show me how much they know. And guess what? They got to what the $25 a half an hour got for them. The ability to tell me what they know and not learn anything. Pride slams the door shut on what other people have to offer you, what God has to offer to you. Humility opens doors. You know, pride is that, that thing, that quality in or, or, or not quality in other people that's repugnant to us when we see it in others, and yet it seems so innocent and innocuous when we exhibit it ourselves. You ever been around a really prideful, arrogant person, and it's kind of gross and ugly and yucky? And then think about when that is in you, how it makes other people feel. And so humility opens doors. Humble people get the best. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I have a good friend, John. He always comes and fixes all my stuff. You know why? Because I don't know. Hey, John, I almost electrocuted myself plugging in my dryer. Can you come help me? Right? Humility opens doors. If there's things that you don't know that maybe I can help you with, be humble and say, Pastor Jake, can you help me with this? I don't know. Sure, I'd love to help you. Right? Humility opens doors. This could be a life-changing reality for some of us. Right? But insecurity tells us, no, I have to pretend that I'm on it, that I've got it, that I've got everything together, that I know what to do, that I, you know, and, and so I can't ever open up that I, that I have vulnerabilities and weaknesses, and that's just not how we're supposed to live. And pride slams the door shut. Number five, we need to count the high cost of pride. Count the high cost of pride. Man, pride does not, it won't just slam doors shut, it'll slam doors shut on your foot. It'll slam doors shut on your nose. 
Pride has a very high cost. I want to read this story to you. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. And news of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. Do you have the humility to yield? How many arguments does it really matter that you win? How many times that, you know, when somebody honks at you, did they just save you an accident? So instead of getting mad and cussing them out or freaking out and being angry for the next 20 minutes about that, why don't you just say, thank you, save me an accident, I was doing something silly. What if they honked at you and you didn't do something silly? Guess what? You're fine. (laughs) And I'm preaching to myself here, you guys. Come on, we go through life and we're unyielding. But pride has a very high cost. Can you yield? Can you stoop? Can you bow? Can you bend? Can you flex? Can you yield? Because pride has such a high cost. This morning, I want to finish and read this quote, which I think is fantastic, by Michael Ramsey, the Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't think at this current time, but historically. And he said this, Thank God, often and always. Thank God carefully and and wonderingly for your continuing privileges. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. He says, take care about confession of your sins. Be sure to criticize yourself in God's presence. That's your self-examination and put yourself under the divine criticism. That is your confession. He says, be ready to accept humiliations. They can hurt terribly, but they can help you to be humble. There can be the trivial humiliations, accept them. There can be the bigger humiliations. All these can be so many chances to be a little nearer to our humble and crucified Lord. Do not worry about status. There is only one status that our Lord bids us to be concerned with, and that is the status of proximity to himself. Use your sense of humor. Laugh about things. Laugh at the absurdities of life. Laugh about yourself and about your own absurdity. We are all of us infinitesimally small and ludicrous creatures within God's universe. You have to be serious, but never solemn. Because if you are solemn about anything, there is the risk of becoming solemn about yourself. Let's pray. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to see our place. Help us to yield. God, help us to be the kind of people that lose sight of ourselves. That, Lord, we're not always worried about how we look, how we sound, how we, how we feel, are we comfortable. But, God, there's a, a concern that extends out to those around us. And, Lord, ultimately, a concern that extends to you. That, God, we care about your status, your feeling, your comfort, what you want, God. Help us to live humbly, to walk humbly before you. Lord, I pray there would be a quick smile on our face to our friends and our neighbors. That as your followers, that our lives would overflow with joy. And God, I know a lot of us have had a hard week with things falling on us and power going out and dealing with insurance and stress that comes and maybe even having fear for our safety. But Lord, your joy is full in our hearts because we belong to you. And you're our Abba Father, our Daddy. And you carry us through. 
these circumstances. So God, I pray that we would carry your joy into our community. That God, even as we leave this movie theater, we'd go out and there would be mirth, there would be laughter, there would be joy, there would be a smile, there would be kindness, there would be compassion and mercy. God, not people thinking about ourselves and thinking about our troubles, but Lord, thinking about you, your mercy, your grace, your goodness to us revealed in Jesus. That even as we go into this Christmas season and family comes in, that God, our homes would be places of worship that the sound of the glasses tinkling together and the food being served and presents being opened and children laughing would carry the sound of heaven, of a God who is so good that he gave us this gift of life. That Lord, our uh, inconsequential momentary afflictions would fade to the background and we would live in the light of your goodness and your glory, your love. That Lord, this Christmas season, we'd walk humbly and joyfully as your followers in this world. Jesus, I pray a blessing upon Joy Church as we close this year. And I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for every person here and every person that's not able to be here right now, but that is a part of this church. God, let us, let us finish this year in humility, just a spirit of thankfulness, God. Not because we did something this year, but because, because God, you did something this year. God, you did something this year, and we just stand amazed and are so happy to get to play a part in it. Help us to walk humbly, to take you seriously and not take ourselves too seriously. In the mighty name of Jesus, we say, amen. amen. This morning, before we leave and go beat the other churches to the good restaurants, I just want to give an opportunity for you in this place. If you're not a, you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and I, I know people come in from all different backgrounds and different reasons, but I would be not... Doing, a, doing my job if I didn't give you an opportunity to meet Jesus this morning. So everyone could just bow their heads and close their eyes today. If you're here today and you want to make a, a confession of faith in Christ and give him your life, I just want you to lift up your hand where I can see. Thank you. Thank you. I want to meet Jesus. I want to confess my sins and I want to, I want to walk humbly with God. I want to stop trying to be number one and just kind of how ridiculous that is. And I, I want to be okay with being number two and let God carry my burdens and let him take away my sins and give me a brand new life. If that's you today, just lift up your hand and we're going to pray. Thank you. Anyone else in this place? Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. I see that. Amen. Just pray with me this morning. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I confess my failures, but I receive your perfection. I receive your forgiveness, and I pray that you would give me the grace to follow you every day of my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for that today. All right.